Hi, everybody, and welcome to today's episode of Elections on Tap with your host, Miles Wilburn. On today's panel, we have Tyler Gardner and Tom Melton, as well as myself. Uh, I realize that it's been a little while since our uh, last episode, but there haven't been that many elections during this off year. And we've also all been very busy over the course of these past several months, myself included for sure. Uh, So today we're going to be talking about Ohio's recent ballot initiative that, had it passed, would have not only made it uh, more difficult uh, for ballot measures to appear on the Ohio ballot in November or in in November's, uh, but it would also have increased the threshold for ballot measures to pass from 50 plus 1 percent to 60 percent. So let's get to it. Uh, So the first question I'd like to ask my uh, my panelists is. What are or were your immediate re- reactions to no uh, winning on uh, winning this ballot initiative the, uh, this past Tuesday? And I'll go to Tyler for that. Yeah, well, as the uh, resident current Ohioan on this panel, uh, obviously, you know, big part of it was just relief <laughs> that it didn't happen, not only for the abortion referendum ballot initiative that will be coming later this year, but also just the chance of getting other progressive policy measures on the ballot. Um, But more than that, it was just good to see a win for the first time in a long time in Ohio. Um, Really, the last thing that jumps out is probably the Supreme Court seats in 2018 and Sherrod Brown's reelection that year. But, you know, that was five years ago now um, and really haven't been any huge statewide wins for us Uh, just a lot of losses and a lot of continuing to see the state get redder and former blue collar union areas get redder and and so this was a a nice you know not necessarily i think a sign of things to come in the short term but still a a good reminder that we can still win places if given the effort and if given the issue and if given a a good enough standing. Yep, I think that I would uh, mostly agree with that. Uh, Tom, how about you? I echo the relief piece, but especially because this was kind of like a pilot project to see, oh, can we use this as a way to negate some of the different referendums that have been passing across the country in recent years, whether it's Medicaid, whether it's labor rights, whether it's marijuana legalization, oh, if we could just ratchet up the constitutional level for that, then we can stop all this stuff from happening in red states and going around the legislature. Um, So I think it's a huge win because it kind of says, no, we're not going to just let you do this, even in a red-leaning or red state like Ohio. But um, it also is hugely beneficial for people who want to have bodily autonomy in a state, (laughs) which is just extremely important so just a lot of really i'm just really happy that it happened and proud even though i'm not from ohio i think i'll also i guess add you know this has kind of shown an interesting like double-edged sword on these kind of issues for republicans where i think part of the problem of why they're ballot initiative failed was that it wasn't particularly clear what it was about right like it 
it was about abortion. And I think the Democrats and, and the left did a very good job of making clear to their voters and people that care about that as a policy issue, being pro-choice, that you were voting about abortion. Whereas there was a sort of tiptoeing around it on the Republican side that I think probably kept some of their voters home in an August off-year election because a lot of the advertising, a lot of the messaging about it was very, this is to protect our constitution and this is to prevent these ballot ma It wasn't like as explicitly messaged as a abortion topic on the right. Um, and I, I noticed towards the end, actually, on the yard signs, I'd seen quite a number of yes on one or no on one throughout the course of the election. But towards the end, I started seeing ones with very explicit Republican branding of the elephant or of Ohio GOP or like of all these things. I think because there might have been internally a sense that like, we don't want to talk about abortion because it's a losing issue for us. But if we don't talk about it, are we just not motivating people for who that is on the right, a motivating factor to come out? Do they not know why they should be coming out to vote against this? Do they not care? And so it's shown this sort of, you know, unwinnable situation, I think, in this case and in many others for the Republicans, where it's like, you need to be talking about conservative social issues to get your voters out, to get them excited. That's a losing issue on the whole. So how do you balance those two things? And, you know, thankfully, as somebody on the left, <laughs> it's a problem for them uh, and not a problem for us right now. But. I thought towards the end, seeing some of that signage shift to be like, here's very GOP Republican centered branding was a very interesting, like intentional strategic decision um, that I think. I don't know if talking in the other direction would have ultimately changed their vote percentage. I mean, I don't know if it would have necessarily done them well to be even more explicitly making it about a pro-life standpoint or an anti-choice standpoint um, because that probably would have just pissed off more people even further but it definitely was something that I noticed because you know you vote on it and if you go in there without really knowing what it is as a Republican like it probably reads as like we're going to change the constitution for this reason you know it doesn't it's not very clear that this is a conservative issue you should be voting on I feel like the conservative position tends to be less change tends to be very like base level civics constitution good change bad mentality and so having a ballot issue about amending the constitution to make other amendments hard you know it just it becomes a complicated thing and i think a lot of the time people end up voting the simpler option than the very complex one it's also interesting because it was kind of, you know, we all can see this now with revisionist history and looking back, but Republicans are really used to being on offense on abortion. They've been on offense for decades. And so it's very interesting to watch them kind of assume they run their same playbook. Okay, we turn out our people, our people are fired up and they'll show up and their people weren't. They were 
like Tyler was talking about, they weren't sure what it was or why we were doing it, especially when the legislature had just said, we're not going to do any more August elections, except to try to get rid of abortion. That one will do. Um, so it's it was interesting to see their kind of miscalculation, which I obviously didn't realize in real time. I don't know if any of us did. Some of you guys probably did. But realizing that, oh, crap, we don't have the enthusiasm advantage on this issue that we're used to. And it really backfired and they lost decisively and could be happier about it. Well, it's been an interesting, you know, lesson in it's obviously awful that Roe got overturned, but I'm sort of fingers crossed that long term it might lead to more progressive you know, availability and access of abortion in many or all states because it has suddenly put that issue on offense where for many years, especially suburban, you know, folks and maybe less politically informed people that like, yeah, it's fine. There's access to this and like, whatever. It's it's not really a threat, right? Like as much as Republicans talked about it, it was never an immediate threat I mean, it was, right? But if you're not somebody that's following these things super closely, it probably seemed like, yeah, it's whatever, Roe v. Wade, like, cool, had it for 50 years. Why would that change? And so changing that has, you know, while it has been bad and I'm sure has resulted in some really awful situations in some states, hopefully long-term has motivated enough people that, like, this is an important issue, that more of these ballot initiatives will come up, you know, obviously Ohio is going to have one this fall and it'll be very interesting to see how that plays out. I, you know, gut feeling would be that it's probably tighter than this vote, but probably still a win, Um, you know, which obviously would be would probably create a much more favorable situation to abortion access in Ohio than even, you know, two years ago prior to Roe getting overturned. Yeah, I've got some thoughts about that uh, towards the end of the episode. But Tyler, to your point about how uh, the Democrats are de facto the Democrats um, or Democrats by proxy were able to message this uh, no vote um, in in terms of, of of abortion. I mean, I and, and I think that first off, I think that they did a, they did a really good job at doing that. Um, and then in addition, I mean, like, you know, with the ad that uh, with the Republican standing in, in, in uh, that people's bedrooms, uh, you know, looking over their contraception and, and all that stuff, it, it, it was a provocative ad. And yes, it was a little bit slippery slope um, and, and, you know, you, or them utilizing that fallacy, but uh, it was effective because it was provocative and because it made you think about what could happen in the future. You know, also for people who are always who, who are Ohio State fans, you know, the the 59-41 Michigan win over over OSU uh, or OSU, 49, sorry, 49 59-41 Ohio State win over Michigan um, and how Michigan would still win in that circumstance. I, I think that was a that was also a great way to get, you know, college students and people that are OSU fans on board. Uh, it, it's 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 that shit like that that's relevant. So that yeah, I, I think that the Democrats definitely or the, the, the uh, no one issue one people definitely had the upper hand on messaging when it came to this issue. Uh, yeah, I mean, because it, 
it's it was an issue about abortion and if you're not talking about abortion you're just making it unclear and muddying the waters of why people should have a stance on this issue right and so democrats are able to go in and say you know and this is an interesting shift in the last year and a half or so that like for so long saying abortion was like something that democrats kind of stride you know straight away from like like it was some bad word to use right like oh i don't want to get pro-life people upset on this or like make republicans really angry like i feel like there was a sense of like using very particular language and kind of skating around it and like no my stance is this and uh, not this and like you know over convoluting and over confusing stuff whereas like now in the position that things are at just being able to be like this is about abortion this is the pro-choice side that's the issue right is like the more you can simplify these things as much as, you know, there's that policy wonk part of my brain that wants to, like, complicate and, you know, specify and whatever, like, on any issue like this, the more you can just simplify it to, like, the most base side of it. Miles, to your point, that Ohio State ad, another great one. I mean, it's the most base version of that kind of numbers game you could calculate and come up with, right, to, like, be like, is wouldn't that be bullshit like yeah yeah it would be you know and just going for letting the issue go from there um i mean obviously there was a lot of money on this one and from my understanding the no side raised more which doesn't surprise me with current kind of trends in terms of voters and and campaigning uh, and campaigning you know the suburban shift suddenly higher income people being on the the left typically at this point there's a a movement towards that um which we can get into more of this later but it's a very different picture from 10 years ago where the natural assumption was you know the money would go into the right wing side low turnout elections would go to the right wing side that's who would come out you know off your elections would be low turnout you know all these things that were just kind of things you'd take for granted for a long time have kind of I think there's still a lot of internal doubt that like those things have really changed because I feel like we always default to before an election being like I don't know it's an off year one and like I don't know Republicans show up on off years and and all these things that I feel like over the last 10 years have just kind of slowly been been really transforming for sure. And one thing, one interesting thing that I found um, throughout this is just how, you know, oh, how, how deflated Ohio Democrats have been over the course of the past eight years. Um, and, and I, I say this more anecdotally because on, uh, one of my, one of my friends, one, one of my mutuals TikToks, um, or, or maybe one of mine, I can't, I can't remember, uh, you know, it, it, her and I were sort of talking back and forth when the uh, uh, sort of a little bit before it was finally called by the AP or this race was called by the AP. Um, you know, I, 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 I said basically at that point, no had one. Um, and, you know, she, she replied back or uh, the person that I was talking to in one of these TikTok videos, um, she replied back saying, Hold on, the, the the margin is you know 
get, getting closer. I, I'm not so sure. I, I, I don't know. I don't necessarily know about that, Miles. Um, but I'm like, you know, all, we're still waiting on like you know big uh, on the on big portions of the of the vote from the three city from the three big cities. So you know, just just, just hold on. Um, and so it just it what that told me is that for time and time again, uh, when it comes to Ohio politics, when it comes to Democrats in Ohio, we have seen this you know, before where the early vote comes in and there's such a significant lead and then it just starts whittling down. We saw that in 2020. We saw that in 2022. Um, saw that in 2016, 28. Uh, I mean, 2018 was different because that was a blue wave year. But, you know, it, it's the, the, that uh, meant having that mentality, or at least I noticed that, that, that Ohio Democrats had that mentality. And that was it's something interesting that I uh, that I saw. Well, it speaks to, you know, you saying that made me think, you know, going into Election Day, I really couldn't tell you what was going to win. I didn't feel like the issue had a lot of juice behind it. But ultimately, you know, I did have those doubts about, you know, off your election might be low turnout, you know, maybe they're, you know, obviously Ohio being kind of a red state at this point is really going to, you know, are enough Democrats going to feel motivated to come out and do this, enough young people, all that sort of stuff. And yet back in 2018, I was positive that Sherrod Brown had that locked in before Election Day. Right. And ultimately, that margin was significantly closer than this margin was. Which, you know, the signs were there that this was going that way, I think. But to your point, there's just so much doubt. And like, especially on the Ohio side, I mean, it's probably just a Democrat thing on the whole of just getting used to getting stomped on constantly i mean that's the part of our part of our party at this point but like particularly in ohio the last 10 years just the thought of a win like this even with the signs pointing to it you're still you in mentally there's still that like yeah but let me subtract 10 percent from what i think the final is going to be and like yeah but let me just assume it's going to be a loss is i think part of the part of the game in ohio right now um Right. right. For me, I think the moment where personally I was like, oh, maybe there's something here was when I went to vote on Election Day. I went to my local um, polling place. I decided to vote day of this time. Um, I went in it's like 830 in the morning. And there were probably, you know, 10 people had gone in and out in the minute I was there. It wasn't super busy, but it was probably half old white guys i was like okay that's kind of what you'd expect from an off-year election and half women under 40 and i was like okay hang on here like it's 8 30 in the morning and like i'm seeing not just all old white dudes here like something there might be something <laughs> happening here sure enough there was yeah, I th I think for me, I looked at Kansas. I looked at what happened in Kansas, which is arguably like a little bit more to the right than Ohio, uh, on to to some degree in some elections. Um, and so I looked at the Kansas referendum in twenty twenty two, and you know if Kansas could go that that go that way, uh, in uh against the the uh, the conservative grain of um abortion. And Kentucky as well, so can Ohio. So that, that's that. Those are my calculations, or those are the calculations that I made um, in predicting 
this uh the uh, the, the outcome and i think i i think i had it at 53 uh 46 so i was even off by three but by you know four points so yeah um is there anything else uh, in terms of immediate immediate reactions that you you guys want to cover or should we move on i think most of my thoughts will fall into the next couple okay cool uh, so next question is, uh, what are some interesting electoral trends you've seen in this election? And with uh, using this vote as sort of a left-right uh, de or Democratic-Republican proxy, could this coalition or something similar be sustainable for Democrats in Ohio um, over the next few election cycles? I'm going to go to Tyler for that. Yeah, there's a few interesting things here. I mean, face value you know yes if right if sherrod brown's going to win again he needs a very similar coalition to this you know you got the cities turning out you have some of the big suburbs you know either winning them or shifting bluer than they have been before and you need some level of slight reversion in a lot of the blue collar areas right like this one portage county this one trumbull this you know some of those areas that We've seen slip big time over the last five years. This one in this this kind of turned back the clock in a way on. Um, and there is some amount of that you still need. But also, you know, obviously there's been a lot of talk about Delaware County voting no on this, which obviously was for many years a very reliably Republican Columbus suburb that, you know, there's been those signs for a long time is shifting. But this is one of the first big examples of it actually voting on the left side as a county. Um, another one I haven't seen a lot of talk about was Medina County voting no on this. Um, that one really surprised me as somebody who grew up around there. You know, in my mind, it's still rich white Republicans and farmers, you know. And so for that to be voting no on this was was a bit of a surprise. But that's another one that maybe less obviously than something like Delaware, but under the surface for a long time has been kind of trending. Um, I remember even back in like the, uh, the primaries that, you know, it was a county that turned out more for Demo like more Democrats came out and voted in the primary than Republicans, which, you know, was down to many factors, but it was one of a few places that stood out in Ohio. Um, and so that was another one that jumped out as, maybe longer term an area where we'll see growth um you know i don't necessarily think that medina county or delaware or whatever are like locks for democrats from here on out like it's gonna be slow growth it's probably faster growth in delaware and slower in something like medina um and i don't think we're gonna hold those those margins in portage again or in stark again or wherever but it does speak to there being potential still whether that's long term whether that's short term whether that's the right issue or the right candidate it's kind of a you know we were down but maybe not totally out like we thought we were sure yeah i would agree i think um, medina swung like our medina county swung by like 25 points relative to uh 20 the 2020 um, presidential election so yeah yep. some, something 
crazy, crazy that stuff. One ju- that one jumped out to me, and I did not see as much talk about Medina. Uh, again, it's not as exciting as Delaware, right? Like, less right. of that. Delaware is definitely, like, the historic example in Ohio right now, whereas, like, Medina, right. much smaller, much, you know, very rural. But, you know, I don't think Biden's going to win Medina County by, you know, Right. 10 or 15 points or whatever he'll probably lose it again but i'd be curious if some of those margins do narrow slowly start narrowing somewhere like that because mm-hmm. you know yeah i mean you know like geaga county was another one of those um the uh, uh, ashabula county another one uh, all those northeast counties that, uh, that you know uh went went rightward um or have gone rightward recently you know quote unquote flipping um uh is i do think is important um another lesson that the cincinnati surrounding counties are cursed um and will forever be cursed (laughs) yes i would agree there um how about you tom i guess my takeaway which is less fun than maybe you guys think is just like don't over analyze this because it was a low turnout august primary um I think that it's very useful data and very useful for targeting. Um, but I, like you said earlier in the episode, I think that it's likely that the actual November election will be closer. Hopefully we still come out on the right side of it, but it'll be tighter. And so I think that there are lessons to be learned but I think it's still going to be a pretty long-term process to kind of turning it around in Ohio, even with these data points, which to is that, hard to say. But to that point, yeah, something that I was going to mention that you know slipped my mind was that I think that's probably very true for something like Medina in an election like this, where the population is such a mix of very rural and very like high income is that an election like this, you're going to get a lot of that high income turnout. And, you know, with it being kind of a weird issue, likely did not get as much of that rural turnout or come turnout in a in a big county like that. And so, yes, would not read necessarily too much into a lot of this because a lot of those people will come out and vote later. But like you said, great targeting, right? Like, so, you know, I particularly in those suburban areas where like, okay, there are people turning out here voting on a more progressive issue that would not have been doing that 10 years ago is a good sign. Um, but does not necessarily speak to how things will play out in November. Yeah, I would uh, totally agree. Um, and just to... Uh, put things in perspective and maybe bookend this uh, question just a little bit the margin for the um for, for, for the abortion uh ballot initiative is going to be much different than what we saw here uh it's going to be i think it's going to be much closer to i still think it pulls through but that's just me uh, sort of optimism uh juice all that stuff going uh, going through my veins um uh and but it is going to be closer. Uh, I think that in this specific ballot initiative, you had a lot of people, um, not only people that that were you know people who are pro-choice or people who want access to abortion, 
Um, I think also you just had people that really don't like power grabs in general, um, uh, uh, regardless of what ideology they they, uh, they ascribe to. And then, yeah, so I, I think that the coalition that we're going to see in November is going to be much narrower or the, the, the vote's going to be much narrower. The margin is going to be much narrower. And then like, like, let alone, it's going to be even probably even narrower uh, if Sherrod Brown winds up eking out a win is that, you know, that, that margin is going to be uh, narrower uh, in 2024. So, because it, it's easy for one to, uh, to, 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 you know, sort of do a, a binary yes, no vote. Uh, you know, it, it, it's uh, without factoring in different aspects of what a, a candidate might support or, um, you know, something, uh, something else. And, and I, I think that we need to take that into account when we're looking at this. Um, I know I've seen a lot of creators on or several creators on TikTok that were, you know, kind of really celebrating what happened. And I think, you know, that they should have the space to do that and they should do that. But they should also recognize and realize that this isn't necessarily going to be uh, the the thing going forward. And as 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 a result, you know, they're they should kind of temper their expectations about what what can happen. To just add very briefly onto that, you know, for me, I think the biggest data point of this is that low turnout elections are not a death knell anymore for Democrats. You know someone like 2014 who has been a boogeyman for like so long where it's like super low turnout, like it's just Republicans showing up, it's just old people showing up, it's just rich people showing up. You know, low turnout is not inherently the danger we thought it once was at this point because of the issues that are prominent in voters' minds right now and who that's getting their turnout. Sure, uh, absolutely. Um yeah, uh, is, is there anything else you guys would like to add to uh, this question before we go on go into our break? I'm getting uh, shakes, <laughs> uh, shakes now. So uh, yes, we will move on to our break. I'll see you on the other side. Everybody and welcome back to elections on tap. Uh, so for our third and final question for uh, that I have for the panelists. Um, so with all the necessary caveats that we've sort of talked already talked about um, that are associated with special elections taking place or in, in August, um, what are some of the insights that you gained uh, not only on a statewide level but also on a national level? Uh, about where the electorate might be right now, uh, and this general electorate, statewide electorate, all that, all that stuff. Uh, and I'll go to Tom for that. Yeah, I think. Um, sorry, I cheated. Go uh, jumping the gun on with part of my answer on question two, but um, I think that I guess I'm coming at this from like a campaign operative perspective. I'm if I were on Shared Brown's campaign team, I would just be elated with not only the results, but all the free data that you're essentially getting by virtue of having all these people voting not only in this primary, but then again in November. It is very rare. And I've been trying to think about this for days leading up to this podcast. I can't think of anything 
comparable for like a really competitive U.S. Senate race that's going to be like one of the top tier targets of any kind of election like this happening a year before or a year, like 15 months before and having that kind of data to work with going into your election. It's like very, very rare. And usually for U.S. Senate races, there are really incongruent comparisons between governor's races or presidential turnout or your past Senate race that was six years ago if you're an incumbent. It's very, very hard to have like a good, hard, mimicable data set. And obviously this will be an off-year election, so it's not going to be a presidential level turnout, but it's going to get a lot of people out to the polls and every single person that votes either pro-abortion or anti-abortion is very valuable data for Sherrod Brown. And I just think that that is going to be a really interesting wrinkle to look at to see if it helps him in 24. I think that it has the potential to. Um, but either way, it's probably going to save him and his team a bunch of money on polling, but also just data points for like the voter database, which I think is really interesting. And that's because I'm a nerd. Yeah, I, w- I think that I, w- I would definitely agree with, uh, with a lot of that. Uh, how about you, Tyler? What do you think? I mean, it, it probably most speaks to the fact that just people continue to be as they've been since 2016 just fucking pissed at like you know republicans are pissed constantly democrats are pissed now like it's just people are angry and want to get out and vote i mean it was a low turnout off your election but it was still pretty good turnout for something like this where the only thing on the ballot was one issue you know i went and voted and you know i'll admit like i went and hadn't done a ton of research prior you know i was expecting some local city thing to be on there about paving a road or something you know just mentally i was prepared for that and to go in and have this huge sheet of paper with one thing you know to get three million people out for that is pretty good you know like that's that's a solid you know stand starting point um people are just mad people are mad that you know prices are high at the grocery store people are mad that abortion is being threatened people are mad about a myriad of issues right now but you know i get the sense that at least at this current moment and for a little while there is an edge of you know democrats righteous indignation kind of being the turnout bump right now and that like if you know to your point about this being great data for sherrod like if i'm his team the first thing I'm thinking of is just how do we make sure all these people are turning out next November, right? It's like we have this isn't all it'll be to win us this, right? But like it's a big part of it. It's a it's a great starting point, you know, if we can get I think Sherrod won in uh I had pulled it up. He had two point three million votes the last time he won, and no here had one point seven five, right? So it's like obviously last time wasn't a presidential election a lot of numbers there but like that's a good start if you're a campaign if you're saying how do we look to keep those 1.7 coming out and voting for Sherrod by arguing it's a very similar issue right by arguing that he's representing that side of things the against hypocrisy of you know pro pro change pro you know pro choice pro abortion all these things that's just a great point to be kicking off from, um, you know, at least in, in Ohio. And broadly, it's I 
sure, like Kansas, like Kentucky, you know, like a lot of these states that have had abortion related issues. It's just another data point of this is an issue that we're winning on. And this is an issue we don't have to be shy about and we don't have to skirt around. Even in red states, we can be very vocal about this and very upfront about where we stand versus where the Republicans stand and and what the state would look like under this leadership or this issue and just roll with it, right? Like, you know, it was healthcare for a number of years and, you know, abortion is healthcare. So this still does play into that in some level, but, you know, it is the issue now and has been since, you know, 2022 and I suspect will still be in 2024. Yeah, no, absolutely. And also the GOP is split when it comes to this issue. They don't know how to run with that anymore. Um, I mean, sort of like we've been talking about, but, uh, you know, like immediately after or shortly after the results came in for this uh, this referendum, you know, I saw people on election Twitter and specifically ET cons, you know, talking about how uh they should just sort of go the trump route of uh, on abortion which is just to leave it, it to the states and do what uh, what we did to get rid of roe as opposed to you know uh, doing a national abortion ban which is what a lot of other you know like national republicans have talked about um and so they just really keep you know uh tripping over themselves on this issue and I don't think that they're going to be able to really find uh, a solid, you know, uh, hold on on it for at least the, the well, next couple of cycles. I mean, whoever's saying that is stupid, too, right? I mean, if you say, oh, we got to say leave it to the states and and be quiet on it, that's, you know, leave it to the states is how you keep losing. <laughs> you know, that's not popular. Right. People in right. those states will get pissed. You know, it's the... the the broader point is just it's not, you know, I think Republicans for a long time just kind of because they were the vocal side of this issue for, you know, 50 years, just assumed that it was a like, yeah, we, we have the foothold here. Like we this is an issue that we're going to win on that more people agree with than don't that, you know, people don't like abortions happening and blah, 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 and all these edge cases. And very suddenly it, the realization, I think, has hit that, like oh no, like, this is probably our most losing issue, like, more than anything, the thing that, like, we just look bad on, and people aren't going to change their minds on, and things aren't really swaying, you know, versus gas prices, or versus, you know, gun violence, or police crime, or any of these things where, you know, there is a, there can be tide shifts somewhat, that, like, people are locked in on this, and are locked in on the other side of it, and, you know, to the point about issue one is a great case study of uh, there's no there's no winning on it. Right. Like it's you either talk about it and make yourselves look bad because it's a losing issue or you don't talk about it and you demotivate people for who it is an issue on your side. You know, you can, you know, waffle around about what you do about that. But like the answer is that it's just an issue you're going to lose on, <laughs> you know, whether it's in a year or 10 years or 20 years, it's not a winning position. Um, and I don't think there's a lot that changes that. Right. Right. You know, and the, the reason that I brought up that, 
uh, that that position from Trump is that it's quote unquote the moderate reason or, or sorry the, the the moderate stance on abortion when it comes to Republicans and their views on it. Um, but you know, honestly, Roe was the compromise, uh, uh, or yes. at least Roe after uh, you know Casey was the compromise, um, and Republicans just completely you know they, they spent thirty years trying to. Uh, completely derail that and when they did people got pissed off and we've seen the the many uh results of that we've seen the many consequences of that and so it's that you know that they're trying to uh reconcile with that they're trying to um you know understand why it happened and all that all that stuff but you know it's simple simple answer there you guys yeah you guys fumbled the ball here. <laughs> well, and what they're so good at on the Republican side is being in opposition to things. They're very good at being oppositional without necessarily having to say, well, this is what we want to do, though. And they did that very well with the ECA for a long time until they had to come up with their own plan and absolutely shat the bed. And I was just thinking about this. Do you guys remember Lindsey Graham's 15-week abortion like national abortion ban plan and all the national republicans including the senators were really mad at him and they're like this is terrible like they have no idea how to do this at a national level at a state level at a city level it doesn't matter they don't know how to like what to actually do now that they're the dog that caught the car um and they have no idea how to message this or how to win now that they're not on offense anymore now that they're not in opposition anymore um also, I looked it up. I think the turnout for this primary was like 38%, which is really good for an August primary, off of your primary too. So low turnout election, but high, relatively high turnout for it, which I thought was cool. Yeah, it's funny actually, because <laughs> a little, probably about an hour or so before uh, you started this podcast, <laughs> Frank LaRose touted the, uh, the, the relatively high turnout, um, but it <laughs> But of course, you know they wanted it to be a low turnout. Like so, he's, he's completely gaslighting the, the you know the, the Ohio voters. The I mean, again, um, but still, while still simultaneously touting, uh, you know, the the high relative turnout. I think, you know, on on the abortion issue, like it's been interesting from a you know marketing and and strategy standpoint, right? Just seeing how they've fumbled this constantly and i you know i don't think there's a way to not do that like you said they're an opposition oppositional party and like they're very good at that side of it but going from being oh okay well you know we it's for it's because roe's bad and this and then you overturn roe and it's like oh shoot that's not popular well it's for late term abortions right like coming up with some bullshit there and then finding out that that doesn't that people don't care about that either because it's such a rare occurrence and when it does it's you know always a very you know difficult or like awful situation going on you know it's not just people being like no you know it's a week left in my pregnancy like yeah let's just do this you know that's never happening you know it's it it, so suddenly you know what's the next step what do you move to to make it sound quote-unquote less extreme your position and i don't think they there is a way to go there, you know. They can't come up with a plan that's going to sound good to anybody. Um, 
just like on almost any other conservative issue. They don't have, they're very good at being against things, but they're not very good at being for anything. Well, and the only plans they've been able to pass are really strict that everyone hates. Like Texas, Florida, it doesn't matter. Wherever they passed it, it, it felt like an overreach. Now, it's not an overreach for the legislature and the state, but it's an overreach for the people who actually live there. And they're like, this is terrible. I don't want this. They don't necessarily have a machination to turn that frustration into political wins yet. But at some point, it's going to happen, I think. Um, and the other thing, and I forgot to say this earlier, is Tyler had a great point about we have to make sure we turn out all these people that are voting in the primary and also in the November um election in 2024 it's very unique that you know the exact issue that motivated someone to come out and vote like they're not saying oh well i'm voting on number one for abortion number two for gas prices and number three for inflation it's just abortion and to have that much of like a it's almost like a silver bullet in a way uh to message to people that are in that data set is really really interesting um and they have so much time to do it, too. I mean, it's not like this was, you know, August of 24, right? Where it's, you know, a lot of things are locked in. A lot of spending is already being planned. And you've been on the ground for, like, right now, there's a lot of time for a team to be like, well, shoot, maybe we are going to send a bunch of people to knock doors in Medina County and those suburbs that we might not have sent there before, like, this is there's a huge amount of time here to rethink and, and recalibrate based on the results, which is crazy. Yeah, I mean, I find fascinating. I'm glad I'm not the only one who thinks that's wild. Tyler makes me feel better for nothing. <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> you know, maybe Richard Cordray would have won if we'd had some some good data points on it. Could have happened. <laughs> Tom shaking his head, which. Uh, I love that optimism, but yeah, I know, I know, it's will forever be there. But as Miles said earlier, though, this is just another example of the the Roe was the compromise, right? Like for many years, I think Republicans just assumed that Roe was like the farthest left version of you know the most choice, the most you know even after Casey, like this is this crazy, you know absurd thing and then after Roe is gone realizing wait a minute maybe that was the moderate compromise position that you know ultimately left nobody particularly happy but everybody somewhat content in in some level of security and realizing that you know with time they may have just weakened their position significantly Yep, for sure. Curious you what know, Trump does on the to your point about Trump in in sixteen. This is this was not as vocal an issue in twenty sixteen, right? Like this was not something coming up as often at debates. At you know, I'm sure in the primaries it came up here and there, but it was not the issue. And so I think his stance of kind of like not talking about it and flip flopping on it a little bit, and you know was more it, it got by with less scrutiny at that point i'm curious how a trump in 24 
you know, will approach this issue on the debate stage in interviews when he's talking because he's going to need answers that aren't just waffling around. Um, right. Which I don't really think he needed as much, you know, three years ago or, or seven years ago. Well, I mean, you got to remember, Tyler, that uh, in 2016 uh, or 2015, when he announced, we still had, you know, uh, three members on the court that weren't there, uh, that, that aren't there now. Um, and you know, the three members that Trump uh, re- replaced, albeit one because of uh, McConnell's fuckery. But, you know, it, it, like outside outside of that, um, it, the the, the the, the legal ground shifted immensely in 2020 when um uh, when, when RBG died and you know we, we can you can we can talk about that to the cows come home about you know whose fault that was and and what and what led to what but it happened so uh, and, and you know uh, she was replaced by Amy Coney Barrett and unfortunately uh, you know that was a direct that directly led to Rose overturning um and it's just now Republicans don't have an answer for it uh, whereas Democrats do or Democrats have over the course of the past year uh, or year or so well I think Trump is uniquely bad at talking issues it's probably his weakest point in my mind as a speaker as a political figure you know he has the the personality and the or the cult of personality and you know the charisma that that gets him by on some level and the name recognition and you know all these things but he's really bad like at explaining positions at 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 having issues behind you know because his positions are typically just kind of nonsensical right like i think that's why in 2018 democrats could steamroll on health care so much because there wasn't you know he certainly wasn't helping that issue and you know his most vocal stance on on immigration really only worked because of how just basic it sounds right the build a wall is like about the simplest way of you know it kind of means nothing and doesn't really practically do anything but it's just like the most base level of it so whenever these things come up that are very like issue driven covid you know, um, healthcare, abortion. I think he's sort of uniquely bad at dealing with that because I don't think he's very good at, you know, other Republicans can kind of waffle a bit and come up with something that maybe on the surface sounds okay, sounds somewhat like, well, okay, that's sort of reasonable. And then the deeper you dig, it's, wait, this healthcare plan makes no sense. Um, He doesn't, even really go that far he'll just kind of non-answer right yeah so i know i agree it'll be interesting to see how he 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 deals with that um over the course of the campaign while he deals with his many legal issues on top of that (laughs) um but yeah so is there anything else you guys would like to talk about when it comes to national trends what this what we could see I guess here's one that's a little outside of the question, but, you know, I feel like as I've been talking, I'm just in the assuming Trump will be the nominee brain, which I think is the logical brain at this point. 
will we see, you know, by the time we do the next one of these or by the time we do, by the time the primaries roll around or whenever, will we see Trump down in a poll at any point, any, you know, large level poll, not some weird, you know, tiny operation. You mean down in a, in a Republican primary poll? Yep. Will we see him down in one at any point before the primaries? This is just an open bet, I guess, <laughs> that we can look back on. And, and... I, I I don't think that we will, honestly. I think um, that he's got a lot of it locked down. He, I mean, maybe, maybe in New Hampshire, like a couple months before the primary, but that would be my only guess at this point. I think he's got that nomination locked down. Yeah, I would say no as well. Um, the other thing that I just want to throw in is just the caveat of us trying to parse out the nuances of abortion politics as three white dudes. But Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, 100%. It is. Yes. <laughs> this is an issue that should not be led by us right like it's just we're doing our best to make sense of it doing and our best abortion is healthcare. facts absolutely um and i think i think that's a good note to end it on and, and the episode on um so it was a pleasure uh again to speak speak with you guys uh i thank you to my my guest tyler and and tom and uh well I'm, I'm looking forward to the next one take it easy also if you'd like to support us further you can do so by clicking on the link in our podcast description page this link will take you to our subscription page and you can donate however much money you'd like thank you again for listening to this episode